0: Be honest. You're listening because you know we say some wacky sh. Listener discretion is advised. You better get comfortable. Because now we're...
1: Going there. Taboo topics are back on the
2: table.
0: Hey, I'm Joe. I'm Matt.
2: And I'm LaJohn. And this is the Going There Podcast.
1: The view on sex in christianity or at least modern day evangelical christianity Lejon met somebody through a film i was astounded to find somebody who has such similar thoughts and experiences as mine in the realm of christianity and god and sex and then the rich people thing is just a whole other ball of wax so let us introduce to you maddie joe kousert thanks for being with us today
3: hi thank you for having me
1: and you are patching in from New York City, from Harlem, actually.
3: I am. Mm-hmm.
1: You met LeJohn on a film set. So you're an actress. And uh, tell us a little bit more about who you are, what you do, and what keeps you busy these days.
3: I am originally from rural Missouri, uh, Missouri as they say, and uh, I moved to New York City when I was 22 to pursue musical theater. I have a degree in musical theater. I wasn't like other theater kids. Like I didn't know a ton about theater. I was just like, oh, I like to sing and dance and act. Guess I'll be on Broadway. So I really had no idea what I was doing at all. I don't think this is my wheelhouse. And then I decided I'm just gonna try to just try acting for just on camera acting for a while. And I ended up booking all the time. Like I worked more in the first six months that I started doing film than I had in four years of doing school theater. So I was like, okay, I think I've found my lane to stay in. All the while during that, I had been writing this blog that was very um, non-committal. It was just kind of like something creative that I liked to do. Eventually started working with a coach and she was like, you're a really fucking good writer. Like, I think you really need to hone in on this and and you will just kind of be more intentional about it. So in the past two to three years, I've been like really focused on my writing, and also doing the film acting thing. And now I'm doing this. And this is all because I could work remotely today. Normally, I have I have a full time job as well. So I wake up in the morning, I write, I do my work. And then you know, Patch in auditions and work out
1: where I can. So. Joe has an audition in like three hours.
3: Fuck yeah. I'm like, we gotta go, we gotta go.
1: She has a Netflix audition. It's
0: literally one line though. Hey. Thank you. Yeah, but I haven't I haven't memorized it.
1: It's it's her name. It's
0: it's my name she hasn't that.
1: memorized the slate.
0: That's why I got sp- Said LaJohn in the beginning.
1: <laughs> yes. She's like, "Hi, my name is LeJohn." Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's another one, Miss. That's, that's okay.
0: uh, but you know what? It's just important to get in front of that casting director. So yeah, that's it. That's yeah. where it's at. Yeah.
1: So what? Uh, what interested me in reading some of your stuff was the title of the blog alone, which is
3: God, sex, and rich people
1: you had mentioned in an email, and I kind of let you know that I never read that as provocative, as in shock for shock value. I read it as, oh, man, somebody who can marry those things together in a good way is healthy because that's how I feel about everything. And so we started reading and you shared a lot of things. And what we're all about on this podcast is candor and openness and vulnerability and, and sharing stories to break down stigmas and to make things like the topic of sex, less taboo. Mm-hmm. I mean, sex is what makes the world go round. So why are we so afraid to, you know, why is it? No, you only talk about that. If that's between you and God and your partner Yeah. who you're married to. So in 2015, you started the blog and your first one was called God and the gays. Yeah. And that's what kind of launched this entire thing. What made you start getting into this blog? And in a nutshell, what is this blog about?
3: You know, I have been keeping a journal since I was in the seventh grade. So I've always been a writer, but never wrote for anyone else. I wrote really good essays in college that got me really great scholarships, but I never considered it as like a thing that I'm good at. You know, my brother is a writer. hate listen to this podcast so hate that I'm saying this but like to me writers are always like really brooding and like self deprecating does
0: he carry a typewriter around with him in Brooklyn yeah
1: Yeah. (laughs)
3: right. exactly John Lennon glasses the
1: only mediums I'll work on are old school manual typewriters or calligraphy
3: right exactly feathers I'm working
0: on my version of the rum diaries
1: only on the wall
3: (laughs) but all that to be said he did like get me into Salinger when I was like in the sixth grade so he did a lot to make me way cooler than most kids it wasn't a conscious decision it was just this really interesting stuff was happening to me in New York City and I thought what if I write about this what if I just like tell people about it because it's funny and I mean at the time I thought it was so novel like I was getting hit on by these like hot actors and like all this stuff and I was like <laughs> let me tell everybody back home about like all this cool shit like these actors want to have sex with me Ugh. and um <laughs> and then also going through the religious deconstruction I thought maybe this also could be helpful because I have this other perspective now I didn't have before and I don't live in Missouri anymore so I have the freedom to share these things without being like burned on a cross you know Know, God and the Gays is when marriage equality passed. And I thought, why don't I write a blog about my relationship with gay men? Because that was a beginning of me being like, huh, I don't think this that I'm part of is what they're telling me it is, which is supposed to be like this super loving, super welcoming, uh, but it's not actually. And it's causing a lot of harm. And obviously I was a theater major, so I was around gay dudes constantly. And I was like, man, these are like my favorite people and they're going to hell. That blows. I guess I kind of want to go to hell with them then. But and then it was just kind of a trickle effect. I mean, when when I first started the blog, it really was just me sharing stories in no refined way at all. It was just like, here are some stories. That's it. And then over time, it became, let me begin with a thesis statement and then write this story that is related to dissecting religious trauma, which is often also dissecting sexual trauma, because I don't know anybody that has religious trauma that doesn't also have sexual trauma.
1: If we can, let's take a step back and kind of unpack that. You were brought up in uh, evangelical world so to speak, in suburban America. And there does come a point, and for me, I think it came a lot earlier than a lot of people, that you start to question things that don't line up with God is love, but also you should not do this. And that guilt and that shame is real. And we've talked about it a little bit on other podcasts, but-
0: Jesus is a Karen.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Jesus wants you to show up and scream at people and tell them, stop being so gay.
0: Jesus is mad that you're having- a party with that music loud.
1: Yeah, Jesus would never step foot in Harlem.
0: Right, of course.
1: Let me share an experience I had, and I may have shared this with you offline. I was in grade school still. I didn't know what it was. It didn't have a name at the time. There was a group of people, and they, and they brought in live testimonials on stage. This very gay, flamboyant man and this very masculine gay woman, and they're like, we helped them find Jesus and heterosexual sex through it. I... I I didn't know what conversion therapy was, but that's what was happening live in front of me. And people were like so happy and cheering for him. And I'm not trying to make a joke about it, but obviously we make levity here. And the guy was like, I am so happy to have sex with her. And I'm thinking, no, you're not. I think
0: I saw you throw up in your mouth a little.
1: Like She's like, I love his body. (laughs) So even as a kid who was 12 or younger, I was going something about this. Like these two people are Being forced to accept a certain way of living. I couldn't put it into words at that age, but I knew what I was watching was wrong. I felt bad for the people. Like, I'm not judging them. I'm judging the people around them who forced them into this. If
0: they were like, hey, we have this program since we live in a really conservative area and you're probably going to get hate crime, that you can just beard up with each other and then, like, live your lives separately DL. That seems more kind than conversion therapy i mean <laughs> yeah, on, uh, okay.
1: honestly neither of them should exist no, neither uh, should. But at,
0: let, let's be honest we have to do an incremental uh, oh yeah permission. i mean this yeah. this
1: was very early 90s so people were still not fully accepting of especially in the church but the evangelicals take it to a whole new level so so reading the thing on god and the gays we've talked about before when you're so against homosexuality until you meet a homosexual who is kind to you and then they break that stereotype and then you're at this cross section in life where I either need to decide that what I've always believed is the right thing and therefore I just can't accept this person or is it possible that I was wrong
2: yeah, yeah. and I've had the, this isn't the topic of today's discussion and everything but I've had that exact same experience with staunch white supremists, yeah. and they met me and I'm like oh what you know what you yeah, know that bad I, yeah. th- that's this, what I mean but it's yeah. it's all stereotypes yeah
0: that's like a four year old they're like I won't eat this they're like have you ever tried it no <laughs>
1: exactly. that's actually what the gay guy kept screaming on the stage <laughs> I'm kidding I'm cutting that I out
0: no we're this. putting that in yeah <laughs> oh,
1: no.
3: it's so much easier to hate a label but once you know a person and they are attached to a heart that label becomes like a thing that you can't not love you know that that's why the the bubble of of evangelical christianity or you know all kinds of christianity or any religious circle you can keep that that method of hate perpetuated because they just don't actually know anyone other than exactly the kinds of people they're taught to love, right? Me moving to New York, me being a theater major, I just started to be exposed to all of these things that I was supposed to have really strong opposition feelings towards. And I was like, oh, I don't. I mean, even moving to New York City and suddenly being around a whole bunch of Jewish people. And for my whole life, I was taught that Jews are going to hell. And anyone who's not a Christian is going to hell. And suddenly I was like, dude, like all of my friends are not Christian. Almost every guy I go out with is Jewish. Like, what do you do with that? You know, like, oh, so all of these people I'm around are going to hell?
0: So no, now now that we've covered actual facts. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know if it's like hypocritical is the right word or I just think it's interesting that conservative Christians are so concerned what certain people are doing in the bedroom. Yeah. You know, like, why are you obsessed with me?
2: (laughs) <laughs> because you're not in their bedroom.
3: Right, cuz that's that's something we would learn in church like people will say, what's the harm in this? What's the harm in this? Why is it any of your business what I'm doing? What harm am I doing by being gay or having gay sex? What harm am I doing by having sex with multiple partners? What's the harm, right? And like what they would say is even if you are not directly harming that person because it's consensual and it's loving, you are harming the kingdom of God at large because you are you are perpetuating a worldly method or message which says that this is okay and God says it's not okay so if you're partaking in that then you're going directly against building the kingdom of God you're actually tearing the the kingdom of God down so it's like you bring the kingdom of God into your like masturbation session and you're like ah
0: so why is it um against the kingdom of God because um Is it like because God needs us evolutionarily to like move forward with numbers? Like what is the actual logical?
1: There is none. You're asking for logic when it comes to faith. And those two have been divorced for centuries. Well,
0: faith is one thing, but judgment about what you're doing, what someone else is doing. No,
1: but I didn't. I'm not saying the word faith like spirituality. I'm saying the word faith as in belief without any kind of logic, sight, reasoning, anything. I cannot begin to unpack these things, and it's wrong to question them. And that's that's what it comes down
3: to. Yeah, because the thing about evangelical Christianity is they'll say um, it's Bible-based. So I grew up—I uh, actually know a lot of Scripture. I could— recite a lot of scripture. I grew up reading the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. Open it. And it's funny because now I will open the Bible and I'll be like, I remember reading this so often in high school and college and just like accepting it. Like it, it was gospel truth. Literally now I read it and I'm like, that is fucked up. And also what does that mean? And like, you know, just actually asking these questions. But at the time I was just like, yeah, yeah. mm." It's all manipulative because If you can tell someone that the Bible is absolute truth, which is what they will say, it is absolute truth. Uh, Evangelical theology claims that the Bible is God breathed. So this is directly from the mouth of God, uh, which is not true. It's incredibly human. I mean, I can't even begin to unpack that right this second, but, but we learned that it was absolute truth. And then they pull these scriptures from it that say this one thing right uh, about premarital sex or uh, homosexuality or whatever it is. And then they say, see, This is absolute truth. And so if this is absolute truth and you're going against it, okay, well, now we have another layer of that, which is um, the, the flesh versus the spirit. And anything you do that is of God is of the spirit. And anything you do that is a personal desire, it is of the flesh. And it's just like with every single turn, you're met with this manipulation and abuse Basically.
1: So we've talked about this before. Any predisposition you have going into the scripture, you will get that out of it. So if you're looking for something that condemns sex or, or homosexuality, you'll find it. You'll find if you're looking for racist themes, if you're looking for classism, if you're looking for Republican Party themes, you will find everything you're looking for. Except because, for Bigfoot. Yeah. No, you can find Bigfoot in there. What? Yeah, well, James well, actually, no, that was a book that was taken out. The Book of <laughs> Enoch. I thought so. The Book of Enoch actually uh, talked yeah. about how angels fell to the earth and they and they reproduced with humans and created these giant monsters. Mm-hmm. So, boom, okay. in your yeah. face. Uh-huh. I don't want to go too deep down this rabbit hole because I want to get into the other stuff. This is something that's near and dear to my heart because it is something that even though, like you, I have deconstructed and reconstructed my own spirituality and faith and and beliefs, it doesn't make all that guilt and shame and all those things that are deep. Buried down, go away. It means I know how to impact them when they come back up, but they're still there, and and that is spiritual abuse. Uh, When it comes to homosexuality, one of the major things that people point to is Sodom and Gomorrah. Anybody who critically analyzes that story, it actually has nothing to do with homosexuality. It has everything to do with how a stranger was treated by people in that town. The people weren't bad because they were having sex with people of the same sex. It's because the men raped the angel who was undercover, who instead of showing them hospitality, it was about being a kind person and being hospitable to it, to somebody. It's actually. It's anti-rape. It's yeah. Yeah.
3: Turns out.
1: You know, we could sit here and argue about what Edgar Allan Poe's writings were. Like, did you know this guy was talking to birds? You (laughs) know, if you want to take everything literally, then you know, that's, that's your own, that's your own burden to carry through the rest of your life. But. What has happened is the evangelical mindset, or at least the the charismatic, what we've accepted as evangelical Christianity in the modern world, is here are all these things you're not supposed to do. So instead of saying, here's how you should live your life to be a good person, it's if you don't do this and you don't do this and you don't do this, maybe you'll get into heaven.
3: Yeah. And it's also not enough to be a good person. That that was repeated to me multiple times. It's not enough to be a good person. Right. Jesus doesn't care if you're a good person. And
2: that has to be so scary to have that kind of oh God, mindset. Yes. I mean, seriously, to, to, to come to that kind of conclusion that, oh, man, everything, the effort I'm putting in as far as being the best absolute person I can be, this still isn't enough? And it puts you in a position where you have to question everything. I know I would.
0: It's like musical theater is a stable career. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 The big problem with it is you start to think, well, if the only people who can get into heaven and not even get into heaven, not go to eternal damnation, are the people who have in public gone, I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. How many billions of people came before Christ who never learned his name, who are like, how many billions of people even on the earth today aren't Christians? Yeah. So you're like, well, then who am I? What are my chances? Because I, mm-hmm. I feel this way and I think this way. It's it's about guilt and shaming you into conformity.
3: It's Yeah, it's social control. That's all it is.
1: Sex in the evangelical church, the message is simply you wait until you're married, and that is the only person you're ever allowed to have sex with there's so many things to unpack there. Let's start with your experience and what brought you to this mindset that you're at today. And what is your mindset, I guess?
3: What is my mindset? Yes. <laughs> Are you
1: pro-sex? Good no,
3: question. Um, I love sex. <laughs>
1: so
3: I guess like I've just always been sexual. And in my circles, in the rural evangelical world, I always felt so out of place. Because even when I was Efforting at this purity culture thing and I was very dead set on it I was still the one asking inappropriate questions inappropriate good questions Um, I was still you know, like always kind of pushing the envelope in terms of sexuality and the conversation around it I was what one would call boy crazy um, Which is really just like slut shaming? in middle school. I I rarely had boyfriends because I was afraid of that. I was afraid of what would happen if I had a boyfriend. I was so, it was weird because I was very horny, but not really acting on it ever. By the time I was 15, this is so weird. You
1: bought a cat of nine tails and started lashing your back every time you had a horny thought. (laughs)
3: Exactly. I understand self-flagellation very well. (laughs) Yeah. Um, because purity was so purity, purity culture, meaning like you described, like you only ever have sex with one person. It is your husband. And And really, you're not
1: supposed to be doing any kind of sex. Like it's not just sex. Like I think anything beyond like light pecking.
3: Yeah. I, you know, there were degrees of, of commitment to this effort. Like some couples wouldn't even kiss before their wedding day. Um, I always say, yeah, you know, those like weirdos on TLC. I knew them.
1: I bet that wedding night was super underwhelming, by the way. <laughs> it
0: was it
1: was quick.
3: <laughs> I, I was in a short film, actually, about this. Anyway. It's...
1: Wait, wait, wait. You were in an evangelical short film or something that's kind of- I was
3: in a short film about a couple uh, who was waiting until marriage, their wedding night, called Over the Threshold.
1: Saying this is a good thing or just-
3: No. Okay. No, it was like the trauma of the night.
1: I got yeah. you. I got gotcha, you. Gotcha. Yeah. Where do I put it? You have one of those, too?
3: Yeah.
1: Uh, I think we fucked up. Fuck. I think we need conversion therapy. Well,
3: now we just have to figure this out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. Um, Very committed to the purity effort. But then something happened, which is that I... Broke up with my boyfriend my junior year of college, and it is very common in the Midwest and, uh, you know, religious communities to get married to your college sweetheart. Some people, it works out for them. Great. Uh, I think the main motivator is really just this shame around only ever having one sexual partner, and that's the rush. Right. Like, OK, I found someone. They're my first boyfriend ever. Uh, but this is it. This is all I need. Let's do it. I have so many friends who married their very first significant other.
1: And you were a junior in college. So you're in your early 20s. Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming you had you had never had
3: sex with them. No, we didn't have sex. We were both virgins, which is a whole other topic of conversation, trying to be in a relationship That glorifies the Lord, not have sex, but really being attracted to each other. It is a fucking miracle that we didn't have sex. I was so attracted to him. I was like, oh, these other people just don't even like each other. Like, wow, so many people are marrying people they're not attracted to. Well,
1: and it works in the 1890s when there's two other people and a donkey in your town, (laughs) and you get married at 14 and 15.
0: And then you start looking at that donkey every once in a while. (laughs) You're like... Longingly, yeah. Look at the ass on that ass.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, 21st century America where sex is everywhere. So even if you weren't with someone, I mean, you're inundated with sex all the time. Yeah. And to not yeah. act on that. I, first of all, let's agree. A ton of them are just liars.
3: Right.
1: I think they tell people because they don't want to be judged. I'm not saying there aren't people who, who don't wait. I know people who've waited. But there's a lot of people who... You talk to them one on one, they're like, Yeah, no. I mean, no. we we were we were hooking up for a while, but
3: Oh yeah.
1: We didn't want anyone to know. Yeah. And there's nothing like having sex and sex already being super awkward. Yeah. And also feeling shame and guilt the whole time, like,
3: please forgive me for this Lord. Why does it feel so nice? This is so confusing. And when we broke up, that changed everything for me because I was like, shit. I don't have a backup, my backup plan. It was really my first plan, which was to marry him and then figure out the New York thing later. And I'm probably going to be single for a long time because I'm going to be pursuing the acting thing, which isn't exactly the most stable situation to like be in a marriage.
1: Sexless in the city.
3: (laughs) Yeah. And, And I was like, that's just actually like the more that reality set in, I was like, This no sex thing only was like really only okay if I was going to get married by 22, 23. I'm not going to be that into my 30s. Like no way. But yeah, so then that kind of, that changed everything for me. And I was like, oh, well, I'm not going to wait probably. And then what does that mean about me as a follower of Christ? What does that mean about me as a, as you know, my value as a woman, my desirability? as a woman, my lovability. Because yeah. Cause I you believed always- if you,
1: if you had had sex with somebody who wasn't your husband, it's like you're a used product now, right? It's been taken yeah. out of the package. The value drops.
3: The analogies abound. Yeah. The, I mean like chewed up gum. There was one, I remember there was this video where like there was a tomato and there were some pencils. And at the end of it, it was just an obliterated tomato. And I was like, uh, that's terrifying. Is that my vagina? Is that my heart? Is, well, it depends on where gonna... he's
1: sticking it. Yeah.
3: Yeah. It's <laughs> like On the wedding night, he's just like, I, I just need a running
0: start.
1: He, like... <laughs> he goes, wait a second. I don't see a tomato anywhere in your body. What is
3: this? It's so confused. Joke's on you because obliterated tomatoes make ketchup and marinara sauce, and mm-hmm. that's very good. So, And none of it was conscious either. I wasn't like, okay, now I'm going to have sex, so now let me just like dissect what this means about my relationship with god and my value as a woman it was just kind of all blowing up and i was just kind i was kind of having to figure it out as i went
1: did you jump into sex before you came to terms a little bit was there a chicken or egg here
3: my experience of making the decision to have sex is that it actually makes no sense with the series of events leading up to it. So I had spent this entire year, my senior year of college being like very devoted to my faith, like super into, like, I was like reading none bo- books written by nuns. I was like reading my Bible all the time, praying fervently, like going to all of the different services basically because I was like, I need to prove my devotion to God so that like he will grant me a successful move to New York city because I don't want to fuck this up. And so that was my way of like earning that. And then I ended up finding a place to live very out of the blue. This is the rich people part of my story that was going to be, um, a penthouse apartment on the upper West side, four bedroom, four baths, terrace, doorman building, like living in absolute luxury. And I was going to be living there for like $700 a month. And so I, I, I came upon this and I was like, Oh my gosh, God is giving me this because I was such a devout follower all year.
1: When you don't leave cookies out for God, he usually gets angry and puts coal in your yeah. stocking. So yeah, you must've exactly. been, you must've been on the nice list. That's good.
3: I was putting out some real good cookies. <laughs> I don't even have to like go find out an apartment with like cockroaches. I'm going to, this is a true fucking Cinderella story. And then like that night I lost my virginity to a stranger.
2: That is fantastic.
3: It made no Sense.
0: No, but it sounds like religion.
2: <laughs>
3: yeah, exactly. It makes and, and it makes sense because uh in the way that it makes sense is this like necessary pendulum yes. that in your deconstruction, it's like how can I go from this to all the way over here? And it's because we don't actually learn any tools to process through what we're feeling. It's just like, this is wrong and this is right. And so there's no like sense of judgment or even gauging how we feel about something. It's just like, you should feel this way about this and you should feel this way about this. And then you're just like, you know.
1: That's one of the major issues I have with that mindset, even if it's not from an evangelical standpoint. And this is what I thought later in life is, I feel really bad for women especially, who grew up in this mindset because, okay, so let's say you do all the things right. You date the same person. You wait until marriage. You get married. You have sex. And then you have problems. Yeah. Like you said, you have no tools to work through it. And it's shameful and wrong to talk about sex with anyone. So who do you talk to? Mm-hmm. You talk to each other. Mm-hmm. Well, what does, you know, two blind mice, where, where where are you leading each other? You have two people who have no idea or education when it comes to sex. Mm-hmm. And the only person they would ever tell you you can talk to this about is maybe your pastor mm-hmm. or a religious counselor. Yeah. Who
2: also know nothing about sex. Nothing about it. And everybody's going to make you feel like shit. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Why then is sex enjoyable if it's really this bad thing? Wouldn't it if it was just for like reproduction or just for love? Wouldn't it only be fun if you were in love? Wouldn't it only? Wouldn't there be certain things that would stop it from being you know this bad, but, ugly, evil thing?
2: Well, actually, Matthew, it's really quite simple. Yeah, <laughs> Bill
1: Nye is back at the table.
0: <laughs> Bill Nye, oh, what oh. happened? Did you get your tongue pierced? I found my tooth next. I found it sexual. Uh, Sorry, we're
1: doing throwbacks to think- old episode. Matthew was like, "What the fuck are you guys talking about?" <laughs> Sorry. The stigma and taboo and guilt and shame around sex causes so many dysfunctions. And then in all their relationships. Yeah. And there's nothing worse than feeling bad about yourself. And on top of that, you don't know who to talk to about it because it's it's something you're not supposed to talk about. When I started going to therapy uh, years back, like one of the first times I went and actually talked to a non-religious, like Uh Jesus cries when you do these things kind of counselor. Yeah. So he sat down with me and we're talking about it and I go, you know, what's weird is I'm married, but I still have this like weird guilt about sex. And he's like, yeah, no, that's pretty common. And he was a Christian. In fact, he brought God and faith into a lot of it. And he goes, you know, that's all bullshit though, right? I was like, I mean, I know that on the outside, but I think he said it was the new pope somewhere in like the 500s who was a man whore. And his mom used to rip him out of bed with other women, you know, and be like, get your ass back to the seminary. So the dude ends up getting into power and then saying premarital sex is a bad thing because there really is not. Jesus wasn't preaching about premarital sex Ever, No. and anyone who pulls never. out a Bible verse, you're like, I can make it say whatever I want to. It's like when a politician who does a bunch of drugs
2: and shit gets into power, he's like, We need to break down on drugs.
0: If I can't do it, no one can.
2: Exactly. Yeah. But who are we? Who who are they trying to satisfy with these narratives, though? It's about control. And that, it's exactly. Control. It's right. power. Right. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Right.
0: Maddie, Joe, I have a question. You were saying that there's like the spiritual world and then the physical world, and if you're doing something. In the physical world, it's not godly. Yeah. So like, is that why sex is wrong? Yeah. Okay. So like, where's their stance on going to the bathroom?
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the, it's it's not necessarily the physical versus the spiritual. Okay. It's the flesh versus God. And it comes from these verses from Paul, which is um, the flesh is giving into your own personal earthly desires and it's like this list of things that are personal earthly desires and of the flesh and your flesh is always going to be directly in conflict with what you desire of the spirit and we have both we have these good things and we have these bad things and we are always going to be in conflict and the goal is to always pursue the things that are of the spirit which are the good things and that is really fucked up (laughs) (laughs) Because what you learn to do is constantly vilify yourself. Like, how are you supposed to operate and think about anything critically and make sound decisions for yourself when you're the enemy? Right. It's impossible.
1: You're not supposed to think about it logically, again, because it's all based on Adam and Eve in the original sense.
3: Which is a whole other
1: thing. If she had just not eaten that apple.
0: This is all where it's confusing because an apple a day keeps the doctor away.
1: And it keeps your teeth yeah. nice <laughs> and
0: clean. And- okay, so having sex for procreation is okay, but having sex for recreation is not.
1: Between husband and wife, though. No, I thought that was bad, Do too. Do
0: they feel like animals that have sex for f- fun are sinners, like dolphins? <laughs> yeah, so
1: they- uh- Animals don't have souls.
0: Yeah, do animals live in heaven? They're not going to heaven. No, all so dogs go to heaven. heaven. This is, is, bullshit. It just, is it just humans in heaven? It's the Mormons.
3: It's just human. Yeah, it's really just the Mormons <laughs> in the castles. Yeah. Uh I've heard a few things. I've heard that it's actually not true. It's all fake news, but they'll say that look look at look at animals. They just do it to procreate. No, that's actually not true. Um and Animals don't have souls, so it doesn't matter.
1: Oh, okay. Which I, I wholeheartedly disagree with. Yeah, none of no. that. That's
3: absolutely not true at all. But it's this idea of elevating humans in a way because we are in the image of God, right? And it's like, well, the whole fucking world's in the image of God.
1: Yeah. yeah. That's why I love the new Pope, by the way. He was the first one to say that your pets do go to heaven with you.
0: Yeah, All great. dogs go to heaven. Did you not see the th- fucking movie, dude? Yeah, I yeah.
3: <laughs> was like, what about that movie? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs>
1: Forget that, you know, and and it's not to paint with such a broad brush that says like every evangelical believes the exact same thing. But I was taught to believe that sex for recreation between a man and wife is okay, But even that has stipulations that they couldn't tell me what they were because I was like, mom, are you telling me, you know, you only have sex with your husband and only to have kids? She goes, no, it's supposed to be enjoyable as long as you're in love and you're married. But also like it can't be anything too kinky. Yeah, And I'm like, well, what's kinky? And she probably means anything that isn't in missionary position.
3: (laughs) Yeah.
0: Anything you enjoy. (laughs) (laughs) So it's
3: interesting. I got really conflicting messages about this because my parents are high school sweethearts. They went to college together. My dad proposed. Uh, My dad switched his major from business to biblical studies. My mom gave him the ring back and said, I'm not going to marry a pastor. Smart woman. And Mm -hmm. then my mom got pregnant. (laughs) before their wedding yeah.
1: how dare they
3: but oh,
0: no. from jesus
3: uh my dad oh it was oh. Uh, yeah. oh no so then they got married and they have had a phenomenal very loving very in love romantic partnership that they were always very outward about with us like i grew up and i realize now that this is Totally not the norm. My parents were like super handsy. Like, my dad would always be like grabbing my mom's butt in public and like making, grabbing her and like making out with her. Like, they were really physical with each other in front of us. And they did that on purpose because they, I think, wanted to show us you can have a lot of fun sexually as a married couple. Like, why would we ask our kids to wait until marriage and then give them this example of it being like totally awful and boring? But once my friends started to get married, I would go to like wedding showers or whatever. And the guys drunk would like pull me aside and be like, my Joe, you need to talk to blah, 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 blah about. Yeah. And I'm like, no, I don't know. Like what do I need to talk to them about. Eh, maybe we could do something other than like missionary. Like would have these conversations with me and I'd be like, I think you need to have that conversation with her. I'm not going to do it, you know. And then other times I would talk to the women and they would say things to me like, well, I don't know. It's like oral's weird or anything, which gives me these ideas that like probably the sex they're having is not super exciting. It is just what it is. And I don't know, that's not every couple, but just that's been some of my experience. And so I never directly heard like oral is bad in marriage. I think or it's assumed
1: that you're not supposed to be doing anything beyond just any of it. straight up missionary.
0: To
2: take something that's supposed to be enjoyable, but put levels on the amount of enjoying that you have.
0: That's the American dream. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I didn't know that there were like, different positions or toys or different holes or like, you know, I didn't know any of they that. They call me
1: the human tomato. <laughs> oh, <right>. <laughs> <laughs> so Lejon, wh- what you just said is what pisses me off so much. And I'm not angry at one person for the fact that this shit was put into me in my entire growth as a human being. Cause the one thing that we all have that is like supposed to be pure joy and fun and excitement has this baggage that hangs from it all the time.
2: Yeah, yeah, which is true. And as I'm hearing you say that, I'm thinking about what else is there that has this baggage? Because there's plenty of things that is supposed to be fun and enjoyable and everything, but lots of things. Just, eating.
1: What? I mean, we have guilt about things that bring us joy. The human experience is like anything that you enjoy fully. You should feel bad for a little bit. Religion makes it that much fucking worse.
3: All of it is sort of compounded by our American culture um, and religion. But just this lack of self-monitoring and self-control to a level that is not so extreme one way or the other. Right. I mean, look at diet culture. Diet culture basically teaches that you have to follow something to a T. You have to follow this exercise regimen. You have to count your macros. You have to do this, this, and this, or else you're never going to be the fittest person or you're never going to get reach your goals. And having self-control in a way that is enjoyable for me, both in not overindulging or underindulging. And I think the same thing can be true of any kind of pleasure, specifically around sex, because I do think that obviously with all of the atrocities that go on in the world of pornography, like sex and pleasure can be this really misused fucked up thing, but it can also be this beautiful dance that is like, I believe brings us closer and probably the closest to the divine, but, but we don't know how to get to that like happy medium because we live in a culture of excess.
1: It's okay to feel a little guilty if you're eating bad for a day because it it stops you from, from eating really bad all the time. But it's not okay when you finally allow yourself to, like, indulge and eat a chocolate sundae after dinner. Guilt eating... Is, it's just not a healthy mental or physical thing that you can do. And guilt around sex.
0: And then what
3: you do wrong. with that
0: food in those sex situations is even worse. <laughs> I mean,
1: then you're guilt eating and having sex.
3: <laughs> yeah, we're going to get the keto syrup.
1: I think we're going to take a quick break for our musical highlight of the episode, which is Donovan Dorrance. He's a composer, multi-instrumentalist, currently working from Chapel Hill, North Carolina. For the past six years, he's toured as a music director for Dorrance Dance, which is a New York City-based tap dance company. Outside of dance, he composes for film, theater, podcasts, commercials, and weird passion projects. And I love that he said that because I'm all about those weird passion projects. You can check him out at DonovanDorrance.com, Dorrance.com. D O R R A N C E, DonovanDorrance.com. Check them out.
2: hear that crunch ladies and gentlemen our snacks sips and sweets for the day is none other than most sweets they started out making flavored popcorn because her son had a severe peanut and tree nut allergy, and unfortunately, because of the allergy, he couldn't enjoy all the popular snacks. You know, he loves caramel popcorn, but it's extremely hard to find caramel popcorn that isn't cross-contaminated and manufactured in a facility that processes peanuts or tree nuts. So, what she did was she started doing some research, and she came up with a recipe for caramel popcorn, and then started tinkering and mixing up the flavors and whatnot, and started handing out samples to family and friends and coworkers, and they were like yo this shit is good and we can attest to that because this shit is good You know, she has a few pop-up shops coming and a steady flow of orders coming in, so she's really rocking it. And uh, today she gave us the Heath Bar Crunch popcorn, pumpkin spice cheesecake, which contains pumpkin spice and white chocolate and pumpkin spice yogurt pretzels, deluxe Chicago mix, which is double cheddar and caramel, ranch deal pretzels, which you heard Joe just completely destroying over there.
0: Delicious, I just keep munching on them.
2: Maple bacon, which Matt is like, he's just jacking it up.
1: I want you to hear this crunch.
2: Uh, she also specializes in uh pound cakes, bunt cakes, as well as this flavored popcorn that we're talking about right now. You can get at Mo Sweets on Instagram at MO underscore sweets1105 and Facebook at Mo, a little apostrophe, sweets1105. Enjoy Mo Sweets. Yeah.
1: Maddie Joe, my mind is blown because there are so many things you're saying that I talk about all the time, but there's only so many people who I feel like get it. Let's talk a little bit more about your experience. So you started writing this blog. You started really sharing it. And instead of what I think a lot of people would fear, getting a lot of hate and people judging you, which I'm sure you got a little bit, you got a lot of support. You share some pretty blunt and honest and dark things as well as some really awesome, hilarious things. It doesn't do your story justice if we don't go into the ugly. Can we talk about that?
3: Yeah, so um, as I was sharing a lot of this stuff, I got really, uh, I just got really nervous the more honest I would get. I just got so nervous. I was like, oh, people are gonna read this and think I'm a total slut or they're gonna read this and think like, ew. But instead people were like, oh my gosh, yes, I've had that exact experience. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. That makes me feel like less crazy or whatever. I remember there is a specific blog post that I released while I was dating someone. So I was really nervous to release it. And it was about how I had told this guy who, who I had gone on a date with that he could stay over. This is a very short version of the story. Even though I said, I have to work tomorrow super early. So like, don't keep me up like let's just go to bed like let's just go to sleep and of course he just kept badgering me and badgering me and badgering me and trying to have sex and trying to have sex and trying to have sex and eventually I just like you know the the term is obligatory blowjobs and I remember sharing that story and being like so many women are gonna be like what a whore or even guys being like ew but instead the response was like men reaching out to me being like Holy shit! How many bl- like blowjobs have I gotten that like they didn't actually want to? A hundred percent, probably a lot. <laughs> and then two, these women being like horrifically accurate depiction of, of a like a very similar situation.
1: I was raised in an evangelical church. What's a blowjob? <laughs> What's well, a sucker
0: lollipop with gum in it?
3: Same, same season. <laughs> I can look back in hindsight through therapy and be like, why did I even let that guy stay over? Why did I feel like I had to say yes to him? I could have just been like. No, you don't get to stay here. I have to leave. But at the time, again, because of years of conditioning, I felt like I had to say yes. I felt like I had to be palatable and welcoming and nice.
0: Was this before the Me Too movement as well?
3: Yeah, this was before Me Too. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I actually, like, I had this relationship that was really, really good and really beautiful, Um, and I felt so lucky to have met that man, and I was feeling really good about successfully, like, having a relationship and falling in love, and it was just, like, so healthy and beautiful, and he lived in another country, so he had gone back to that country, and we had, like, said our goodbyes, and I was just so proud of myself, and I had done a ton of work on myself that summer, and so I came back to the city, and I'm sure, like, operating at this very high frequency so like the first day i'm back in the city i meet this guy at a bar he's really handsome and he's interesting he's like from another you know i love foreign guys that's another thing so he's from another country so like when he
1: was rich right
3: super rich yeah as
1: in the rich people
3: (laughs) the rich people that's a big part of the story always so anyways we're you know hitting it off and then i ended up um being like date raped by this guy that i had met And that was kind of just another crisis that I went through. Like before that, I, I knew I could like point out the, the fuck up again about purity culture. And I was already talking about it and I was being really vocal, but I wouldn't say that I really truly knew how to like dig myself out of it. I was just kind of like this fucked up, but I was still having a lot of sex that I was blacked out for either by alcohol or because of dissociation, which I didn't know I was doing at the time. But like, I can look back now and be like, I know I had sex with that person, but I don't actually have any idea what happened. And that was most of my sexual experiences. And then the sexual assault happened. Which I was also blacked out
1: for. This is the going there podcast. Yeah. And you're comfortable enough sharing it with us. Yeah. I think this is actually a very important story, even if you tell it just in quick bullet points. Okay. Because I think in our culture, and especially as a man, when I hear date rape or sexual assault, it's the man with the thin mustache tying the girl to the train tracks is the villain. It's so horribly subtle. Yeah. Is what's bothersome about it. And I think it's really important to share that story so people don't go, Okay. Well, this wasn't date rape. No, that, that was date rape.
3: Yeah, okay, great. So I'll yeah, I'll share. And actually to your point, in the blog post that I write about it, which is called Life After Cowboys, I talk about that specific thing, which is after it happened, I didn't even call it rape. Well, you know, he didn't hurt me. So then you like go through the questions of like, well, was I raped enough? to call it rape. And, and again, this was before the Me Too movement. So I didn't have the power in numbers. And also, I didn't come out publicly about this stuff until years after the fact. Like I didn't talk about it right away. I was like, well, he, he wasn't like mean. Like he didn't, he didn't mean it. Maybe he didn't know. Like that's what I was telling myself. Maybe he didn't know that he raped me. Right. But anyway, so we were on our third date. We have been drinking, you know, like we were having a good time. Uh, he invited me back to his place, and I said, "That's really nice, but I understand the implications that that involves, and I can't and won't uh, live up to those expectations." So I'm just going to go home. And he was like, "No, no, 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 no. There are no expectations. Absolutely not. Like, just come back for a nightcap. Like, no expectations." I was like, "Okay, I just want to make it really clear. This is my boundary. I don't want to have sex tonight. We've been drinking." You're not my boyfriend. I was very vocal about that boundary. And he was like, yeah, absolutely not. No expectation. I was like, great. So we go back to his apartment. It's a beautiful apartment. I probably take like two sips of the whiskey. And then I'm like, you know what? I can't do this. I'm already, we've been having champagne. Like I'm tired. I need to go home. I just need to leave. So I I try to leave and he's like no stay stay it's like late da 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 you know the whole run around and I said I'll stay but I'm gonna sleep on the couch you know I'm thinking in my head like yeah an Uber from here to my apartment's gonna be like seventy five dollars I'll just sleep here I'll go to I'll go home in the morning when the trains are working <laughs> it'll be fine
0: I get that <laughs> he
3: proceeds to continue to like kiss me and try to come on to me and all of that and we're making out and you know like I'm enjoying I was attracted to the guy you know but then I pass out. I honestly don't remember. Like, I think probably my shirt was off. I know that I was asleep and then I know that I was awake. And then I know that he was inside of me. I fell back asleep. I think I like, you know, I, I I was awake. I was alert for it, but I just like, kind of like rolled over. And then I went, you know, went back to sleep, got up in the morning. Uh, He was In his bed. So I guess he had eventually made it to his bed, but I was still on the couch.
0: What a gentleman. Yeah, exactly.
3: Yeah. I left and he was like, I had a really good time. Like, I'll text you. And the first person I reached out to was my ex-boyfriend, the one that had just gone back to Romania. And he has since apologized for this, but he said, why did you go home with him? It's like the last thing I wanted to hear, because that's exactly how I feel. I know that's what everyone's going to say why did you go home with him? But then I just didn't know what to do because I knew he didn't use protection. And I was like, I don't know anything about this guy. Like, so then I just called Planned Parenthood and I told them what happened. I said, I need to get tested. And then they said, nothing's going to show up this quickly, but what we can do is set you up with a counselor and a social worker and a doctor. You know, you need to get these things done within the next 48 hours.
1: You were probably like, why the fuck do I need a counselor and all this shit? Because I wasn't raped.
3: Yeah, I, I had no idea. I called my friend Lydia and I recounted the situation to her. And she said, Maddie Joe, you were raped. And I was like, no, I wasn't. That was I don't think so. And she was like, you said no. He did it anyway. That's rape. Ugh, fuck. And the, the weight of that was just too much when i called i was just asking i I told them what happened and i was just asking for a test i was like i just need to get tested because i hope i don't have anything and if i do i need the treatment and and then they were like oh actually here we have this entire protocol for free for victims of sexual assault. Then I underwent all of the tests. So then I I met with a social worker and I met with a doctor. They asked if I wanted to do a rape kit and I said, no. They said, do you wanna press charges? You know, all of that. I said, no, cause I didn't think I would win. I was like, we were drunk, he's rich. (laughs) Like nobody's gonna believe me.
0: It shows how so much of a problem between sex and gender roles that we have in our society, Mm -hmm. the fact that that is such a gray area is even gray. It shouldn't be gray if you say no. Yeah.
1: I was going to suggest, I think we need to ruminate and stay here for a moment and and talk through this. Mm -hmm. It really isn't a gray area in, in the sense of yes and no, but we are not taught that growing up. And, and, mm. and I don't even mean from our parents. I mean, from media. Yeah. Think, like girls want to be chased. Yeah. So when a girl tells, you no, she's being playful. Right. And so you need to prove. Yeah. I think most men I know probably a little bit guilty, not of date rape, but of the not taking no for an answer the first time in any sort. Will you go out with me? No. Mm. That means she wants me to fight harder, like put on my armor yeah. and show her
2: that I'm a true yeah. knight. And that's a that, difficult part because we mentally think that now it's all about the pursuit. You know yeah. what I mean, and, and she wants to be pursued in this kind of way. So this yeah. is just a part of the game, right? I
0: just recently watched um, when Blade Runner twenty forty nine came out. I wanted to watch the original, and uh, that one scene where he's having sex with the replicant is very disturbing. And it's supposed to be a love scene, but it's like he hits her and she's saying no, and he hits her again, and then yeah, it's just it's very disturbing. And everyone's like, yeah. <laughs> nobody questioned it
3: I remember hearing this um, a lot after the Me Too movement and talking to men about this and they were like well you know I don't even I don't want to talk to a girl at a bar anymore and I'm like why and they're like well I don't want to get Me Too'd And I was like, the fact that you don't know the difference between sexual assault and talking to a girl at a bar (laughs) is the problem. Yeah, you
0: probably shouldn't talk to us actually.
3: (laughs) Of course I want a guy to come up to me and talk to me and approach me. But if I am, here's where I think is the problem is that men are, they're not even taught to listen. They're not taught to pick up on our body language. They are only taught like through subtle and repeated messages that you wanting it is enough. So they will disregard everything else you're offering because they aren't taught to like notice that stuff or respect it, right? Like I want something, so I'm going to get it.
0: The wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. Yeah. Like, let me just get this. Let
3: me just get this. And it's like, what? okay. I would love for like a guy to come up and talk to me, whether I'm interested or not. I'm flattered that you did. Um, but then pick up on am I interested? Am I giving you certain body language? Am I you know like I like all of that is just so because in American culture we're not taught to understand ourselves as sexual beings in relation to other people like what does relationship and I'm not talking about like a monogamous relationship I'm talking about just relationship between people connection right we are not taught about how to relate to each other in that way beyond just like this like sexual urge yeah. right and so it's it's just it's a learning curve for everyone.
0: <laughs> yeah, we're all, we all don't know what we're doing and we're just trying to like imitate the things that we see on TV. Yeah.
2: And, and, and for men, those things that we're not doing as far as being just a listener and, and paying attention to the, the, the gestures and the, and the physical cues and everything. I think a lot of men think it takes away from their manhood in regards to the approach and the pursuit of the woman. Oh, she's going to see me as a bitch, you know, as as a guy who doesn't really, you know, yeah, I'm I'm a softie now. Yeah. Yeah, And and she don't want no softie and everything. So let me be. Yeah. You know, let me let me go. Go ahead and just be more aggressive towards her. Mm -mm. It's bad
1: stereotypes that have been put out there on both sides, too, because then it's. Yeah, the guy doesn't want to seem soft, but then they see the guys who are more willing to listen and be compassionate. And the girl doesn't like him. She likes the asshole.
3: I don't think that that's true. I I have lots
1: to say about these things. Well, I, yes, by sir. all means do it. I'm not saying this is in every situation. I'm saying that there is the girls like girls want the bad boy. I'm nice saying guys, I'm saying that I'm saying the stereotype that we we play out you know yeah. james Marsden played the nice guy in so many movies and he never gets the
2: girl yeah yeah the nice guys finished last yeah. that's
3: media i will say that but i would offer that if a girl is going after if you say like bad boy and it's like he's mistreating her why the fuck do you want to be with that woman anyway obviously she's got issues that why do you want to be with exactly her? she doesn't understand respect she doesn't understand yeah. self-respect she obviously has deep-rooted value issues, why would you want to be with that Because
2: one? she doesn't challenge. That's why. Yeah. She doesn't challenge. Like you said, when we don't have these
1: discussions early on and we're not taught by parents and counselors and other people to have a healthy sexual and and just intimate relationship with people in general... We take all of this horrible decision making and bad stereotypes and horrible gender roles and we take all that shit into every single relationship and then we build up those walls. So now no longer is Maddie Joe a fellow human being who has a spirit and a heart and a soul. She's a piece of meat and I'm just going to try to have sex with her.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. I'm sorry, not a piece of meat, a tomato.
3: A tomato, right. I'm clearly a vegetable.
2: <laughs>
3: also, the leading role in Veggie Tales because I'm a true evangelical. So, I think this is really important because I think that all of those things that you were just talking about, it robs both genders, all genders, of relating to each other as human beings and offering this respect. And it really is as simple as mutual respect. I just do believe that. I think it's like I say that I want a man, I want a partner who's a feminist. That doesn't mean that I need a man who's like out in the streets with me, like with signs and like every time he kisses me, he's asking for permission. And like, you know, that's not what that means. It means that he views me as an equal and he respects me as an equal.
0: Yeah, he's comfortable enough as a man to respect a woman.
3: Yes, that doesn't mean when we're in the bedroom, I'm always dominating or whatever, whatever floats your boat. That's not what that, I know it's, it's fair game, like whatever. But I'm just saying that's, I feel like there's this imagery of like the, the soft guy, you know, I want to be pursued because I want to feel wanted. I want to feel desired. I want to feel like you want to be with me. That doesn't mean aggressive. Yeah. That's not the same thing and uh, there's so much nuance to it I- i'm grateful for the me too movement because it gave so many women a voice and it you know what honestly it scared the shit out of dudes and i'm i'm really happy about that because it made guys go holy shit have i raped someone
2: hopefully it made guys think that
3: maybe you did and and then we can engage in this conversation instead of just being too clueless and mindless bumping uglies drunk
1: we need to go back, and I, I think the audience needs to hear Lejon and I repeat that. Man, it's it's not it's not a far fetched tale. In my early twenties, in college, out at the bar, to say that I respected some of the and let's use the term conquest it would be a flat out lie. It's not that you treat them like shit, but it's that you are looking at them as a conquest. You are looking at them as like the um, MacGuffin of the film that you're just happening to watch or be a part of that day. There really isn't respect.
2: No doubt about it, man. I mean, it's like the like the mindset, you know, I I bang 20 girls, I'm a champion amongst my peers, you know. Said mm-hmm. girl bangs 20 guys, she's a whore. You know, it, it's that's yeah. that's the that's the jacked up part about it all.
3: If you're vocally enthusiastic about sex as a woman, like I get this a lot. Well, you know, Maddie Joe, like you're really vocal about certain th- it's just going to take like the right guy. And I'm like, "Why? What?" Oh, it's just going to take a special guy to be okay with the fact that you're vocal about enjoying sex. You're vocal about wanting to have the best sex you can have. You're vocal about sexual and mental and spiritual health and all of those things combining to make your sexual experience.
1: Wait a second. Sex is enjoyable for women? It's not supposed to be. (laughs) Do you believe that the situation you were in wasn't just because you're the woman and he's the man, but because of classism? Was there a privilege there with his wealth?
3: Yeah, so actually, after that situation, I was pretty dead set on never letting a guy pay for a date ever again, because I felt like he had whined and dined me and felt like I owed him something. And instead of coming from a place and being like, I don't owe you fucking anything, you're welcome for my company, I started to create parameters around what I would do in a dating situation, which was I'm never going to let a guy pay for me because I don't want to feel like I owe him anything. I don't do that anymore, but
2: that's
3: a- <laughs> No, I've been there. Yeah. Bitch is hungry. Times is hard.
1: You told me in the neat little nutshell earlier why the rich people thing is a theme. It's not just all they're rich snobs and they take advantage of the poor people.
3: No, actually not at all. That was kind of the opposite of what I experienced, which is what I thought rich people were. I thought they were all just like, you know, assholes who evade taxes. That is a portion of them for sure. (laughs) Yeah, It was because I lived on the Upper West Side in this penthouse apartment and I in a doorman building and I was living amongst people who were wealthy. So it was very weird because I was living in this very specific culture and not feeling at all a part of it because I was still an actor and a babysitter. So I was like living in this penthouse apartment but still babysitting for rich people in the penthouse apartment next door and what I found is like so interesting because most of them that I met are very liberal like they always vote democrat. Like I thought most really rich people were republicans and I remember this one woman was like, "Look, not every kid is going to be born into a family who can pay $25,000 a year for their first grade education. It's ri- it's ridiculous. We pay our taxes." which these people are paying 35 to 40%, right? That's why New York can operate the way that it does is because their tax base is really rich people. And we believe that people should still have access to programs in education, even if they weren't born into a situation like our kids are born into. I was like, huh, what a fucking thought. And- (laughs) I just, I was like, wow, this isn't at all what I was taught. Wealthy people are like. And so that was really interesting. And I also found that a lot of wealthy people are really nice and really down to earth. And I did never think that I thought rich people were just like snobs. I mean, there's there's definitely that too. But what I found is that people are assholes regardless of their money. Really kind people are rich and really kind people are poor. Like that is not an indicator of your character
1: I think, too, regardless of how they vote, I think a lot of rich people are more liberal, at least in their lives. No one's having an eyes wide shut party in the trailer park, okay?
0: (laughs) It would be tight quarters, I guess.
1: I'd go. (laughs) We'll make it work. We'll make it work. The high level is it's not like you're saying rich people are bad.
0: I mean, using your power over anyone, whether it's money or physical strength or if you're a boss and they're a subordinate. I mean, it's. It is abuse.
1: It comes down to, again, asking the other person, you know, and people make fun of it like, oh, we're going to live in the society where people have to sign consent forms before a date. And it's like, no, it's called a no, conversation. No, yes,
2: exactly. <laughs> it's called yeah.
1: reading body language. It's
0: like, sounds like you're an idiot, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll deal
1: with that later. These were important, crucial, uncomfortable conversations that men and women need to have. And what I appreciate is we have two women in the conversation and you allowed for us to share our stories too, because it is about all of us. We only touch the tip of the iceberg here with your blog and who you are and what you do. So where can people go to read more of your stories to learn more about you?
3: The place to find me on Instagram, mostly at Maddie Joe Kausert, M-A-T-T-I-E-J-O-C-O-W-S-E-R-T. Also, maddiejoekausert.com. I want to say it's forward slash it might be backslash we'll find out God, Sex and Rich People and that's the blog and that's where you can subscribe to the blog and you know you'll just get alerts anytime a new blog is released I don't like send out fam but you do get a fun little like freebie whenever you subscribe so please do that
1: Do you interact with your audience?
3: Yes, a lot Uh, and mostly on Instagram
1: You're also currently turning this into a book
3: Yeah, and then also yes, I'm uh, I'm writing a book God, sex, and rich people, an undevotional for the recovering evangelical. So as soon as I have more, if you're subscribed, you will get announcements about all of this. If you follow me on Instagram, you will get announcements about all of this. So,
1: yeah. I don't want to just thank you for your time here. I want to thank you for doing what you've done. Because you said, you know, you get men and women who reach out to you and go, oh my gosh, your story's so similar. You're doing a service to everybody who's kind of gone through that. The day I die, I will still have some of those pain, some of that guilt, some of that shame inside me. And it's so important to put it out there unabashed and just be like, here's who I am. Here's what it is. Join the conversation. So thank you.
3: Oh, thank you for saying that.
0: Yeah. I think it just takes a, a wise person to see the world that they grew up in and to question it and breakthrough despite the peer pressure that I'm sure that you had to deal with and losing friends and family. But then also, you know, not just like villainizing them either, just trying to shed light. That's important. And thank you.
2: Thank you for being you. From the moment I met you and from just like right now, this great individual who is helping us learn more about ourselves and learn more about things that, again, are just so jacked up. But it takes somebody like yourself and being yourself for us to understand it and to see it and to receive it. So thank you, Maddie. Yeah.
3: Thank you, John. Thank you guys for having me and just, again, having this conversation and being the the person that does this this kind of work, uh, it can just so often be misunderstood because I live super honestly and super openly. People do often think like they, they've got me all down. Like this is who she is. We see her on Instagram. We see her in her blog. So this is who she is. Just always remember that even when people are sharing honestly and even when when there is a platform for their message, they are a whole, full human being that could never be minimized to an Instagram profile. When my work is understood to the extent that all of you have expressed, it really means a lot to me because so often I am just so afraid that people are like, oh, she's like the Carrie Bradshaw of Missouri.
2: <laughs>
3: no. That's not it, you know, and then furthermore having ideas about who I am before they even meet me. And I just really love and appreciate when any human is uh honored and respected in their multiple layers and complications cuz that's what we are as humans. And then the other thing uh that I want to say is that Even though I was dissecting all of this stuff or I was recognizing all of this stuff before my sexual assault, after my sexual assault, the reason I was able to really deconstruct and pull apart all of this shit from purity culture is because I got professional help i got myself into sexual trauma therapy and even though we're moving into a space where people are more okay about that and it's more normalized and less stigmatized if you can get help and you can afford to like not a christian counselor i can't reiterate that enough like not a christian counselor a sexual trauma therapist that was a game changer for me i still work with that same therapist we still dissect things from my background that I'm like, why the fuck does this still affect me? I say that because I also want to honor and normalize the fact that this is a journey that never ends. The reason I'm not a recovered evangelical is because it will never be finished. I will constantly be recovering in a, to a different version of myself. The fact that you're on the journey and you're aware of it is fucking amazing.
1: And we got Mo People to thank here.
2: I think we do have Mo People to Think here. I like what you did right there, Matt. The Mo People he's talking about is Mo Sweets. Once again, thank you so much, Mo Sweets, for allowing us to jump on this popcorn and pretzels. We have been jacking it up during this whole entire episode. And uh, it says delicious as advertised because we're advertising it.
1: Delicious, delicious stuff.
2: <laughs> yes, indeed. Mo Sweets, Instagram, M O underscore Sweets 1105, Facebook, M O, apostrophe. Sweets one one zero five. Get at them,
1: and mo music from Donovan Dorance. So check them out at donovan.dorance.com. Thank you again for sharing your music with us. And as a film person who loves the film soundtracks and loves working with composers, I'm a big fan.
2: So we just went there. Now you can go to thegoingtherepodcast.com for links to our socials and all the places that you can hear the podcast.
1: So what
0: did you think of this episode? Let us know by giving us a rating, leaving us a review subscribing sharing with a friend or just shouting into the void maybe we'll hear it
1: this podcast is made possible by its hosts and frame one media in association with lindsey baker tyler Kubisti, michael madgar joe Callie, and bobby thomas